0: Well, before I jump into the word, I just wanted to let you know that I brought everyone something today. Since it's Easter and in in the spirit of Jimmy Lincoln, I bought everybody three points in a prayer, right, Brian? If you wanna hand out that candy, it's okay, I won't be distracted if I hear the rustling of chocolate. That's exciting to a woman. Chocolate. It will energize me. Coffee and chocolate, I mean, really, hand in hand. That's right. (sighs) And the smell of food, does everybody smell dinner cooking downstairs? My goodness. I hope we made enough bags. If we didn't, don't fight. Jimmy always has more candy in his pocket, right? No, not today? Oh. Oh, yeah, he does. Look at Jody saying, yeah, he does. All right, I'm, I want to make sure, I'm going to take the time, make sure everybody has chocolate, so is there enough? You're digging deep, Brian. Don't save any for yourself. Check his pockets, Jimmy. Who knows? <laughs> He'll come back up here. There's no more, Brenda. He says pockets are shoved full. <laughs> Yeah, there's no more chocolate dripping down his cheeks. All right, you have your candy. Now I have your undivided attention, right? Or at least I've hyped you up on sugar enough. I can hold your attention for a little while. Well, this is part two of our Easter series. It's called Scars, Wounded Warriors, Arise. Last week, our youth director, James, taught us a few lessons about Being a wounded warrior, I want to share with you just to catch you up. First one is that we might be wounded, but we don't have to be a victim. And just because we fail, that doesn't make us a failure. And I like the point he brought out that Jesus renamed Simon to Peter, calling him the rock on which he would build the church before, knowing that Peter was going to deny him three times. He called him the rock on which he would build his church. And then Peter went on as a wounded warrior. He led 3,000 people into the church in one day because he stood up in God's strength and didn't let his failings make him a failure. And he refused to be defeated. So today I'm going to focus on strength through the battle how to go from the wounded warrior to rising up again and again, no matter how many times you get knocked down, tripped up, or trampled on. So if you have a Bible, turn with me, or you have it on your version, your app, or there's Bibles in front of you to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation. So in Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 31, this is just one of the times that Jesus warned his disciples that he was going to die. But he even told them everything and how it was going to happen. But don't worry, he said. So let's read this together. In Mark chapter 8, starting at verse 31, Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. As they talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. 33, verse 33, Jesus turned around, looked at his disciples, then reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan, he said. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for an opportunity to just set together with friends and family to open up your word and, Lord, to feast on your word in a way that it nourishes both our spirit and our soul, Lord, that it gives life to this drab living at times, Lord, that we have life to the fullest because your word came in the form of your son. God, that He sacrifice, you sacrificed your son for us, Lord. That we might have eternal life with you. God, we just thank you for that. I ask that you put a guard over my mouth and help me speak only your words today in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most perplexing things about the Easter story is that Jesus' own disciples just didn't get it. All the way up to and even beyond Jesus' resurrection. His disciples, who had traveled, studied, and ministered under Jesus for most of his public ministry, seem remarkably confused about what was happening. During the events of Easter week, we see many examples of the disciples failing to comprehend what Jesus was plainly telling them. But the end of verse 33 gives us the clearest explanation to why, and that's what we're going to focus on today when Jesus said, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. Jesus was trying to teach his disciples that there is far more to this life than life itself, than the life we see if we would just grab a hold of this life and begin directing our steps to point ourselves and other people towards eternal matters, these temporary troubles will not be able to hold us down. When I think of someone from history who was a courageous wounded warrior who refused to shrink back, refused to stay down, and even in the face of death itself, I think of Corey Ten Boom. Allow me to share her story with you. The Ten Boom family lived in Harlem, Holland. They were devoted Christians who dedicated their lives in service to their fellow man. During the Second World War, the Ten Boom home became a refuge, a hiding place, it was called, for fugitives of those Hunted by the Nazis. By protecting these people, Casper and his daughters, Corey and Betsy, risk their lives daily. This nonviolent against resistance against the Nazi oppressors was the Ten Boom's way of living out their Christian faith. This faith led them to hide Jews, students who refused to cooperate with the Nazis, and members of the Dutch Underground Resistance Movement. During 1943 and into 1944, there were usually six to seven people legally living in this home. Four Jews and two or three members of the Dutch underground. Additional refugees would stay with the Ten Booms for a few hours or a few days until another safe house could be located for them. Corey became a ringleader within the network of the Harlem Underground. Corrie and the Behe Group, it was called, would search for courageous Dutch families who had taken refugees, and much of Corey's time was spent caring for these people once they were in the hiding place. Through these activities, the Ten Boom family and their many friends saved the lives of an estimated 800 Jews and protected many Dutch underground workers. On February 28, 1944, this family was betrayed, and the Gestapo, the Nazi secret police, raided their home. The Gestapo set a trap and waited throughout the day, seizing everyone who came to this home for refuge. By evening, about 30 people had been taken into custody. Casper, Corey, and Betsy were all arrested. Cory's brother William, sister Nolly, and nephew Peter were at the house that day, and they were also taken to prison. Although the Gestapo systematically searched the house, they could not find what they sought the most, that hiding place. They suspected Jews were in the house even, but the Jews were safely hidden behind a false wall in Cory's bedroom. In this hiding place, there were two Jewish men, two Jewish women, and two members of the Dutch underground. Although the house remained under guard, the resistance was able to liberate the refugees 47 hours later. These six people had managed to stay quiet in this cramped, dark hiding place all that time, even though they had no water and very little food. Because underground materials and extra ration cards were found in their home, the Tenboom family was imprisoned. Casper, 84 years old at that time, died after only 10 days in the Szczecinian Shus- prison. When Casper was asked if he knew he could die for helping the Jews, he replied, It would be an honor to give my life. For God's ancient chosen people. Corey and Betsy spent 10 months in three different prisons. The last was the infamous Ravensbrück concentration camp located near Berlin, Germany. Life in the camp was almost unbearable, but Corey and Betsy spent their time sharing Jesus and his love with their fellow prisoners. Many women became Christians in that terrible place because of Corey and Betsy's witness to them. Betsy, 59 years old, died in Ravensbrook, but Corey survived. Four Ten Booms gave their lives for this family's commitment, but Corey came home from that death camp. She realized her life was a gift from God and she needed to share what she and Betsy had learned. In Ravensbrook, which was, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. And God will give us the love to be able to forgive our enemies. At age 53, Corey began a worldwide ministry which took her into more than 60 countries in the next 33 years. She testified to God's love and encouraged all she met with the message that she's. Famous for, which is Jesus is Victor. Corey was a woman who was faithful to God. She died on her 91st birthday on April 15th, 1983. It is interesting that Corey's passing occurred on her birthday. You see, in the Jewish tradition, it was only the most blessed that were allowed the privilege of passing on their birthday. If you want to learn anything more about Corrie Ten Boom, go to corrietenboom.com. I have five of her books in the library. You're welcome to borrow at any time. This woman just is remarkable because I couldn't name a more awful place that I could title Hell on Earth than that concentration camp. And yet in that camp, her and her sister declared that Jesus is victor. And there is no place too dark, too deep, too awful for God's love not to reach. Corey is an inspiration, a true wounded warrior who continued to rise. Sure, she had scars, but she used her scars to tell of God's story. There is no pit so deep that God's love can't reach. Jesus warned his disciples repeatedly about his death and then assured them that, don't worry, I will rise again in three days. Now, it's tempting to scoff at the disciples for their weak faith and even ignorance, but really, we're no different. Like the disciples, we don't always understand what God is doing in our lives. We read God's promises clearly in the Bible. Oh, we love them. We're encouraged by them until something happens. And then where's God? I don't understand. What's going on? Sometimes it isn't until after God has brought us through a trial that we look back and we say, oh, well, that makes sense. Oh, now I understand. There's another family I want to share with you. This family suffered a very deep wound, but like Corey, they refused to be a victim. They continue to stand strong, telling of God's love story through their scars. And this one's on a video I want to share with you. Go ahead and play that.
1: to say something is really, something needs to be really off here. Then in the next couple weeks, we began to ride some misdiagnoses. Some that had us elated that our son was going to be healthy and whole again, to diagnoses that were going to be deaf.
2: was and it is so beautiful and I, I think what happened in this
1: We knew going into this that this was probably going to be the...
2: For beer I wanted to seek God for his healing. My feeling was that if I could just get to him and bring him my son, that he would touch him healing. So the and heal him. As a father, I was sitting for
1: that. When we got that diagnosis, the powerlessness that we felt to protect him and to keep him from this was so profound that it tore the very fabric of what a parent feels like they're supposed to do is. To May we see your power at work. May we see you moving me. you so much, oh, oh, Judy. I'm sorry, oh. I'm so sorry. Before Justin began to suffer, I was one of those people who would see somebody's struggling began to get sick and our lives were being torn apart, something that meant so much to me was when people were willing to enter into our suffering. And, and through that, I believe God then is walking with us through that person. And, you know, Judson, in his suffering, he was desperate to know we were there. I mean, he would say, can you hold me? Can you touch me? Because he couldn't see. And so he wanted to know somebody was with him. He didn't want to be alone the middle of the night, and he would have these blood-curdling screams. And really, I think all he really wanted was somebody to come in and be with him. And so one night, he was crying out, and I went, and I laid next to him. And then we were quiet for a while. And because he was blind, he started to get scared, because I think he thought I had left. And yet, I was literally face-to-face face with him. And because he was so blind, he couldn't see me. I just put my hand on his back, and he calmed it was okay because he knew I was there, and I think God does the same for us. He says, "I'm here. You might not see me, but I am here." And the picture of who God is became so real as we loved on our broken child. And I think about we are such, we are all such broken people, and God looks down and He loves us in those same ways.
2: You know, you don't know what it's like to have a shepherd until you you get guided through the darkness. You hear his voice. And the thing I see is that as much as I wanted to hold my arms, arms around John and see to him and hold him and care him and pray for him, I know that I have a father who loves me even more tenderly than I love my son. I did have a lot of questions about why God didn't decide to heal that. And I don't have any answers. What I am convinced more and more is we're suffering it does not mean that god has given up on us that god um, has has said to us i don't love you i i can tell you that beyond a shadow of a doubt that i know the love of god in deeper and more abiding ways than i ever have
1: you know my understanding of the love of god is just so different and now it's just there's so much more depth that's not to say that i don't And it continue to happen. Where are you? And I continue to have them. It's not like it's all been resolved for us, you know? And we're continuing on this journey and wrestling and, and struggling and I and say, I don't see your love and this, the pains of this life are so great. But I believe that God is reaching out especially to people in their brokenness when they're feeling so wounded and, and he's saying, I want to meet you at that place.
2: And you know, I think that's uh, the piece that's so important for us as well. You know, David in in the Psalms again and again cries out and complain and groaning and lament and he really shows us a path of authentic grief of authentic suffering and we cry out in our need we cry out in even our anger and our frustration and he hears us and that he has a purpose for us in this world to walk by faith live a life that follows his kingdom, and to share him with a world that desperately needs him.
1: You know, our prayer for Judson was this Abrahamic blessing. Like, I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And that was our prayer for our son. And uh, at the time, we were begging God, please provide the ram and the thicket so that our son doesn't have to die. And yet, Judson died. And I remember for the longest time, I was like, God, why didn't you provide the ram in the thicket? And he spoke so clear to my heart and said, Christina, I did provide the ram and the thicket. Jesus is that sacrifice that has replaced the death of your son, and he now lives. That ram in the thicket came, and that is my son. And it was such a profound moment for me because I was so focused on this earthly existence, that I couldn't see the sacrifice he's made for us to live eternally, and that he has provided the ram in the thicket for our son, and he now lives, and we will get to live with him in eternity. I have been here for a long time listening to Jesus. No one brought lunch except one little...
0: That's just a small part of that story. Judson's, sorry, Judson's legacy is huge. That boy, I saw videos on YouTube that they've titled them his angel versaries. If you go on to Judson's Legacy or even YouTube just his name and watch that documentary of his whole story, you'll see that he had a peculiar interest in the life of Job. And he made his parents read him over and over again in his children's Bible, the story of Job. And he even memorized portions of that. So in that documentary, you would learn that his dad, you know, they're trying to hold it together knowing that they're with his son and they want happy times with him and try to keep him happy through his suffering. And one day at the dining room table, he couldn't, Judson couldn't grab a hold of his sippy cup and he kept asking, where's my cup, where's my cup? And all of a sudden his dad just lost it and just started crying and Judson saw that and heard it. And he started quoting by memorizing by memorization, the story of Job and he, you know, he just started telling him, you know, this is just temporary, you know, God's got something better. And what the enemy started for evil, God meant and will turn it around for good. And he started preaching to his own dad. But what a wounded warrior, not a wounded family, they're wounded warriors because they continue to stand and share their scars as God's love story. Through this family story of their scars, we learn five important lessons I want us to look at this morning. Lessons that can teach us how to stand strong in God's strength no matter what life brings our way, because again, I can't picture a more horrible thing than to lose a child. And if they can stand strong, we need to learn from them. So let's look at some of the lessons. The first lesson, lesson number one, we need to be there and enter in to other people's suffering. thought that was very uh, profound, that she shared that, that before Judson she used to stay at arm's length away from other people when she saw them suffering because she felt, net that I, can't, I have nothing to offer them. I can't say anything. It's, I don't know what to do, and I'll walk away. And she made the comment that we could feel God walking with us through those people that entered into suffering with us. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, It says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ we are supposed to walk with people in their suffering and in doing so like Judson's mom says they can feel God walking with them lesson two our suffering does not mean God doesn't love us do you even think for one minute that that mom or that dad didn't love their son through his suffering Could you say that? Of course not. You see their love all over their face, all through their story. God hurts. He's offered something better for our life, and when we choose things that put us in harm's way or in suffering or the suffering from somebody else's bad choices, he weeps, he mourns, he cries. It tears him up. Because we can't, like Judson's father said, we can't even begin to fathom the love of our Heavenly Father. God's love, like Corey said, Corey ten Boom said, God's love can reach the deepest pit, and Jesus is victor. And Jesus warned us in John chapter 16. He said, in this life you will have trouble. But he said, take heart. Be strengthened. Take courage. Be strong, because I have overcome the world lesson 3 god is with us even in our darkest hour you see when judson's suffering started his mom said that she would lay with him face to face but because he was blind he didn't know she that she was right there we are quick to scream why have you left me god when all the time he's been laying right beside us face to face in our darkest hour. David tells us in Psalms 139 that he learned this same lesson. In verse 7, he shares, Where can I go from your spirit, O God? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is atlas light to you. I sat with a friend of mine down at Main Street Beanery who reminded me of an old poem written years ago called Footprints in the Sand. And he shared his story of when he was over... Um, during his last tour, and he cried out to God. And he kept asking God, where are you? All this is going wrong in my life. Where are you? Where are you? And he, re- he saw a picture. I don't even know if he's ever saw the poem, Footprints in the Sand. I, he was just sharing this story with me. And he said a friend, a soldier friend of his, reminded him that, you know, because he saw a picture of these footprints in the sand and how there was only one you know, one set of footprints. And his soldier friend reminded him that, you know, well, because God's not walking with you. He's carrying you. When you're going through your darkest time, God's not afar off. He's not sitting in the corner watching. He's laying face to face with you. He scoops you up in his arms and he carries you. God is with us, even in Our darkest hour. Lesson four, our pain is only temporary. You heard Judson's mom say that. It's only temporary. This was Jesus' biggest rebuke to Peter. And we read it earlier. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. Judson's mom told about her prayer to God to provide another way so he wouldn't have to die. She called it the ram in the thicket. If you don't know that story, that's that Abraham was given a son, a promised son. And that was the heir to all this. He, you know, God promised him, You're gonna have sons and numerous as the sand, is more than the stars in the sky. And then God tested him and said, Here, would you offer that son to me? So as he was walking along, and, you know, God, of course, God, you know, I'll do whatever you tell me to do, and here it is. And so as he's taking his one and only promised son up to the altar to lay his son on the altar, God stopped him and said, you know, there's a ram in the thicket over there. Sacrifice that, not your son. Now I know you'll do what I ask. Now I know. And so that was Judson's mom's prayer, was God provide that ram in the thicket so my son don't have to die. And God shared with her that I did. I already did. Remember John 3.16? If you've never heard it before, let me just read to you. John 3.16 in the message version says this is how much we know that God loves us. This is how much God loves the world. He gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why, so that no one needs to ever be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help. He came to make the world right again. Anyone who trusts in him is acquitted. Anyone who refuses to trust him has long since been under a death sentence without even knowing it. And why? Because of that person's failure to believe in the one-of-a-kind Son of God when introduced to him. John 3.16 shares with us that God has provided. Jesus is our eternal answer for our temporary pains at the end of the video you saw that they wrote on their revelations chapter 21 verses 3 and 4 it says I heard a loud shout from the throne saying look God's home is now among the people he will live with them and they will be his people God himself will be with them he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, and no more pain. All these things will be gone forever. Rachel, my daughter-in-law, made me a word picture and then framed it. It sets on my coffee bar to remind me of this lesson. Would you show that picture? It says, everything will be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. That's a promise by God. All these things will be gone forever. I'll wipe away every tear. The last lesson, lesson five, what the enemy meant for evil, God will turn it around for good. We are not defined by our past. But we determine our destiny by our choices. Just because you failed in the past don't make you a failure. Just because you was victimized doesn't make you a victim. Just because you were hurt, you don't have to hurt. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that God causes everything to work together together, For the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Your scars help tell your story. After Jesus was raised from the dead, defeating hell, restoring humanity's relationship with God, his scars remained. Did you notice that? His scars remained. Could God have healed him completely and Removed everything, about every blemish. Yeah, but his scars remained. Turn with me over to John chapter 20. Let's look at this together. He had already, three days later, rose from the dead, was seen by the women, was even seen by other people, And then we pick up the story, John chapter 20, verse 24. And we hear of a man named Thomas. Verse 24 says, One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, also nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. Oh, but they told him, We have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he looked at Thomas and said, Put your finger here. Put it into my hands. Put your hand here into the wound in my side. Thomas, don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Verse 28, My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. I'm sure he did. Then Jesus told him, "You believe because you have seen me, but blessed are those who believe without seeing me." See Jesus' scars remain to tell of his story, a story of loving, healing, and restoring. His scars remained our scars will remain. I'm not up here to preach to you today that things that happened in your past are going to be wiped away from your memory, memory, and you're never going to remember them again. I can't do that. As a matter of fact, I remember praying that when I first came back to the Lord and I moved back in with my parents, and I, because every time I closed my eyes, even when I wouldn't close my eyes, I would constantly see trash. Crash that I had chosen to live through, things that happened because of my choices, things that happened because of other people's choices, but constantly I was tormented with I could not control my mind, I couldn't control my thoughts, and I remember every night I'd get on my knees, oh God, please, just wipe it all away. Don't let me remember anything. I don't want to remember anything. And as a matter of fact, if you're so big and powerful, go ahead and turn back time. Pick me up from here. Put me back. And then I'd start thinking, okay, what age would he need to put me back at to get me back to a place where I could start again? And I'd tell him, God, if you just do that, I'll be so good. I'll do it again. And then I thought, okay, maybe after high school because I don't want to have to go through high school again. Okay, well, maybe after the college. The college was bad too. I don't want to go through that again. And then I thought, well, wait a minute. There's so many life choices that, yeah, they were wrong, but they, you know, they still brought about things like my daughter. I got pregnant when I was 16, wasn't married. So I started thinking, well, if I go back till I was 15, and that one night, God said, what would you do then? Because I, I remembered the exact night, the exact location where I was, the choice I made, which was wrong. My parents were telling me, come home, and I refused to go home. And they said, would you go home that night, knowing that your daughter was born on that day, was, was conceived on that day? Would you go home and then never have her again in your life? And she was three years old, well, just before her third year, because I wasn't married yet third birthday, and I said, no, I can't. I have to. I couldn't imagine life without my daughter. See, there's going to be consequences to things that you've done, things that other people have done, that God says what the enemy meant for evil, I can turn for good. And you might have wounds in your life, but they don't have to be open wounds. Let God heal so that your scars, if you allow them to be, can become God's love story in your life. Just like Jesus pointed to Thomas and said, right here it is, this scar right here, this scar right here. God's got a purpose for your life to walk with, enter into somebody else's suffering and say, you know what? See this scar right here? I got this scar because... And I know how it feels. You know, this happened to me in my life. I know how it feels. I'm here with you. God's love is greater far. There's no place too dark, no pit too deep. So, what are your scars? Have you been wounded? Are you feeling alone and abandoned? Is there something in your life that's happened that you feel like you just can't ever stand up from? Brenda, you're saying rise again. I can't even stand up once. I keep, every time I stand up, I get knocked down. I have so many questions. I have so many questions. How can you tell me to just trust? It's okay to have doubts. Thomas did. The thing about Thomas, though, is eight days later, he missed out on so much because he stayed down, wallowing in his doubts. He refused to stand up and walk with the disciples, go see Jesus. He refused to believe. So it's okay to have doubts. As a matter of fact, in order to have faith, you must be able to trust. Because there will always be unanswered questions. That's faith. Without unanswered questions, you don't need to trust. If you know all the answers, where's the faith? Where's the trust? Trust comes through those unanswered questions, and I still will stand. God, I don't know why I'm going through this. God, I don't know why I had to face this. But I stand here in your strength, and I will refuse to stay down. Hebrews 11.6 says, It is impossible to please God without faith. Impossible. You have to trust him. You have to trust that he has provided your eternal answer to your temporary pains. So would you stand with me right now? And close your eyes, and I just want us to focus a minute, because we've all had some type of wound, some type of event And like I said, either by our choice or by the choices of somebody else that's hurt us. And first thing I want to do is address, is it still an open wound? Do you need healing? God, I just pray right now, if there are any open wounds right now, God, that you would reach down your hand of healing and you would lay it upon that wound of these people, Lord, and in our individual, in our very personal, in in the darkest, most private place of our heart that we've hidden that wound, that you would lay your hand of healing upon it and close that wound and make it a scar. Heal, heal that wound. If you need that wound healed, just say, yes, God. Heal that wound. Heal that wound. If you need to speak that wound out so that you can actually get it out of your very life, God, I I forgive so-and-so. God, I I forgive this individual. God, I ask for forgiveness that I did this or that. Heal my open womb, God. And God, I pray that that scar that will remain will become a scar of your story, that would tell of your love story, God that it would encourage us, Lord, to enter into other people's suffering, to step in with them, Lord, to share with them, to hold them up, to bear them up like you do, God. Carry them. Show them your love. And through us, Lord, do that. Pour your love in us and through us. God, we are incapable of loving like you do, God, but we can become like conduits, Tools in your hand. Use us, O Lord, to bring healing, love, and restoration to others. God, heal those open wounds. Turn them into those scars, Lord, that they would tell of your story. And right now, before we close, if you have never had a relationship with God, today's your day to start one. Or maybe you had started a relationship but you kind of veered off and and you started living life in your own choices and your on your own terms. And today's your day to restore that relationship again with God. Simple. Because He's right here. He's as near as your very skin. And he's always with you and always close to you. So you don't need to scream out. You don't need to make a big scene. You can even just whisper his name Jesus. God, forgive me for living life on my own, for not making you the leader and Lord of my life. And I ask you to come in to my life, take control. Create me to be what you created me to be. Help me to fulfill the purpose and the plans that you meant for my life before I was even born. Let everything I do, everything I think, everything I say, give glory to you. Give honor to you, God, my heavenly Father. Thank you that you sent your one and only Son as the eternal answer for my temporary pain. Your word says that Jesus came to give us life, abundant life, overflowing life here, and eternal life in heaven with you. Thank you for that you prayed that prayer in your heart? The Bible says that all heaven takes notice and rejoices when even one comes to God. You might be wounded, but you can be a wounded warrior that rises every time. Proverbs 24, 16 says, Though a righteous man stumbles and fall, he will continue to get up. He will keep getting up. It's time to stand. It's time to rise up in God's strength, turning those scars into stories of God's love. Father, we just thank you for such a beautiful day that you have not, you've provided everything we need, everything we need. You haven't left anything off this banquet table before us of things that we need to be able to walk life as you would have us to. Everything. Your word says you've given us everything we need. Lord, I I pray that you continue to just strengthen our physical bodies, that when we get knocked down, when we get tripped up, that we would be quick to get up. We'd be quick to stand up, not in our own strength because we can't do it, but in your strength, God, you'll continue to pour your love in us, your strength in us that will make us stronger and stronger so that we might be slow the first time. We'll get faster getting up the next time. And over and over again, we refuse to be knocked down and stay down. We will be wounded warriors that will rise up over and over and over again, because you, Jesus, have overcome the world. Thank you, God, for all that you provided for us for this day and for the rest of our life, and then even into eternity. Have your way, God, in our life, in this church, in this community, and across the world. Lord, help us to be history makers In Jesus' name, amen. The greatest day in history. Death is beaten, you have rescued me. Sing it out, Jesus, he's alive. The empty cross, the empty grave life eternal you have won the day shout it out
1: jesus he's alive he's alive oh happy day happy day you wash my sin away oh happy day happy
2: day i never